0: We're back here with the Looking Glass Forum. We're pushing back against the political group think, returning suppressed history back to common knowledge, and defending the cause of the American Revolution. Remember, the lies are many. The truth is one. Yeah, we're back here. Forum podcast, and we're looking at a very interesting news week. It's been a strange year in 2020, um, a lot of different things going on at one time, and uh, we have been through a lot in this podcast. You know, we really have been making a case for a more deliberate approach to our analysis of what's happening. We really can't trust the media to tell us what definitive facts are. We we can trust them to tell us what they want us to think en masse in a hyper-partisan way. We can count on them like a, a canary in the coal mine to respond almost reflexively in a, in a certain way or another. But we really can't count on them to give us a good picture about what's going on in the world because a lot of news is not going to make it to our attention in this attention economy if it doesn't serve the purpose of creating or in supporting the, the political narrative at the time. For masks, or not for masks, or there's a lot of surgical mask hysteria kicking off in the country right now. And I think that people are informing their own sensibilities, and their own mindset, they're forming within themselves a certain belief about what's happening in the world based on what they're being told, or what they're allowing themselves to really believe. And these conflicts of ideological conceptualization and the conflicts and the framing of these different patterns of grasping and understanding the world around us can come into a degrading Kind of neurotic destabilization and conflict within the society. That's what we're seeing. We're seeing people take out their frustrations on one another and project their own kind of personal biases onto one another and as I'm looking through I mean, we, we put out a bunch of shows already and we were trying to make the case that the, the concept of slavery and the subject of slavery is not as simple as these news pundits like to make it out to be and we started to build in some of the historical facts about different clandestine orders, different fraternities and knighthoods that operate in the background of our lives without us even really knowing it and you can read the newspaper and you can get on Twitter and you can learn a lot of things but you can't find out the real integral facets of the historical record until you really seize upon the thread of that question. And we're seeing communism versus nationalism as a dialectical, political powder keg starting to take take shape here. It's very deliberate. It's so destructive that it's hard for the populace or the government or an army or anyone to really control riotous, anarchic, bomb-throwing we're talking about. And we're seizing upon people's fears over racial issues, a stereotypical sense of polarization, and a stereotypical polarized, racial inequities, as perceived by those who are consuming this new media, and which is characterizing and projecting this sense of tribal retaliation, is precipitating towards further social instability. And inducing violence between members of a society is not a new phenomenon. It's a relatively straightforward technique of subversion when a nation-state cannot be openly defeated by war. It's the provenance of plotting conspirators who employ inflammatory and incendiary toxic doctrines, which reduce a society of individuals to suspicion and fratricidal angst, which fabricates conflict within a group of people, it does not organically exist. Racism as a systemic construct does not organically exist in American society. And if it does, then it is usually dealt with quite harshly, like other things that are not unacceptable within the society. The issues of conflict regarding race are introduced by those who wish to make racial conflict an issue, an issue that they can seize upon a useful issue of conflict. And these groups like BLM exist not to help America to work out its racial conflicts or even to balance and right wrongs of the past. But Black Lives Matter being a clever racist pseudonym exists to advance racial conflict and to incite internecine social discord where none previously existed. So that's what its functional tool is. And they arrive at this through this kind of twisting and assaulting and seizing upon the perceived inequities of the past. And these are the tactics of underground insurrectionary political groups. These are ideological assailants, enemies who are introducing spurious rhetoric and derogatory invective in order to create some kind of... socially ruinous antagonism, a culture of infighting and tribalism and perceived racial polarization. So let's talk about race. Race is not a color, and we're talking about our skin complexion or what people perceive to be a race. Of people. And white and black, as terms or descriptive names, are not races. They're names of conflict, oppositional dynamics, which create divisions. We are not blacks and whites. We are Americans. We are people from many different ethnic backgrounds, myriad national heritages from Europe, Russia, Scandinavia, South America, Africa, China. We are Americans. These obscene and archaic definitions of race, which these neo-communists are using to, to divide us, that is racism. We are not divided color groups. This is a, a regressive ideological agenda designed to rip apart a united people. Black and white are occult terms. They are symbols of duality and destruction in Freemasonry. And In the past, as Americans who've gone through our history, we were not called whites and blacks. These are these are terms developed in our vocabulary as precursors of social division. And as we discussed before, the presence of melanin in our human skin is not an indicator of racial heritage. We can find humans with dark skin complexion on four different continents. Having lived near the Earth's equator for many generations, human skin adapts to be equipped for the environment. And you cannot describe people with dark skin as black. This is a euphemistic categorization of a person into a conflict block. And these ideological tools inframe the unified society within factions, instituting rivalry and antagonism between citizens. So we have to ask ourselves, who does this serve? It's good to be your race. It's good to be from Europe or Africa or Portugal. It's good to be individual with an amazing history, which leads here to America. America is not a race and it's It's not an ethnic group. America is a system of beliefs, a creed which frees mankind from slavery, bondage, and superstition. We don't need or want a communist revolution of violence and racism to turn us back to the dark ages. We had a revolution of liberty, and that will remain unchanged. So we see the prevailing ignorance in the wider society as it's reflected from the propaganda echo chamber of the media, which is kind of crystallizing within the mind of the mass public this ignorant perspective that promotes a racist antipathy and stereotypes it and categorizes everybody into some kind of racial division based on the superimposed idea of blacks and whites. So there's lots of different people that come from different walks of life in different parts of the world and they're going to have a variety of skin colors, but this doesn't necessarily mean that they're in the same race. People who have the same complexion of skin can belong to different races. So this hyper division of the body politic along racial lines empowers marginalized, segregated, and hate groups. And it kind of brings them to the forefront, and you can see them all waving their flags now. And to be sure, Black Lives Matter is nothing more than just another black hate group. And people can be from Cuba, from Brazil, and they could be from all different walks of life, and they could be very light-skinned, they could be white, or they could be dark-skinned. Therefore, degrading one multiracial group of people with a different skin color does not produce racial justice for another group of multiracial people with various skin colors, skin tones, skin complexions. So, but really It's really just a massive xenophobic hysteria that's outbreaking, and so it's a provocation of race war. And it's time for America to resist and reject racially specific social justice narratives, which are brought forward only to introduce animosity between people they describe as racial. And these terms and ideological formations are the devices which constrain logic and induce a perception of some racial inequities which is non-existent and proceeds with this illogical conclusions deliberately. The purpose is to attack members of your own society, your neighbors, in your own community and offer these rationalizations to blame invented injustices and false claims of oppression from the past in order to morally justify therefore presenting pseudo-vindication and so through the sophistry and trickery of these neo-Marxist constructs, you can attack people and rob them and kill them based on their skin color claiming that skin color is race and pretend you are accomplishing a meritorious work you are righting the wrongs of the past by destroying your neighbor's property and life these are the malleable and situational strategies of the neo-communists whatever it takes to get it done you shoot a cop burn a business create false charges against the innocent create division groups based on skin color stir up racial animosity between americans who live together in the same community in peace this is an effort at this point to wake up your mind so as we proceed here, we're going to try to find a way to discuss this critical issue. And we have to understand that in America, the effort to remain free and to keep our political liberty intact is the responsibility of every citizen. And you can imagine that how horrifying it must be for people who have worked all their lives holding green cars and visas to go through the line and go through the process of becoming an American citizen and learning a lot of the, the different background history and the different components of our democratic republic. And they even say an oath of allegiance. To the Constitution into our country to become proudly American citizens. While people who are born in this country and have become American citizens by no other reason other than that they were just born here and raised in public schools and through the wider popular criminal culture and the propaganda spewing news media along with these Hollywood movies, this all combines to become a general conversion and it's a process of indoctrination that instills deeply into the young people in this country to sag their pants, to listen to to this criminal culture, rap music, that glorifies murdering people and trying to enslave people with narcotics in order to earn Federal Reserve notes. And these are all useful to this neo-Marxist regime that's starting to rise up. And through the public schools, all these different ways that our young people are informing themselves has slowly and gradually turned them into partisans and traitors against their own country. So in order to understand how this can happen and how the politics and the, the subversion of communism has been actively forwarded and advanced by our enemies. We'll have to listen to this little audio here. Digging this interesting history up here, it's called Left-Wing Plot to Cause a Race War in America by Mr. Reagan.
1: We must support our local police. Nothing can be quite so damaging to police morale and efficiency as converting every arrest into a trial
2: of the policeman the secret origins of racial division in America Mr Reagan now there's many reasons for racial division in America obviously slavery obviously the jim crow laws in the south civil rights movement all that kind of stuff but we hear about every day. from cnn from the mainstream media we always hear about this stuff we know about this stuff but there's another reason why there is such severe racial tension in America even to this day it sounds a bit outlandish. It sounds conspiratorial, like some crazy theory. But I'm going to give you video evidence. I'm going to give you names. You can do all the research yourself. You can see all of this history is absolutely true. Black Americans have been used for decades by Marxists to try to create division and unrest in America. The reason that they're doing this is because the theory of the Marxists is that if you can utterly destroy a country, if you can raise it to the ground, absolutely obliterate it structurally and physically, then out of the ashes, you can create a new, beautiful Marxist utopia. Right, So that is the idea of Marxists. That's the idea of communists, of socialists. And we are seeing the effects of that today. The marches in the streets, the Black Lives Matter movement, Antifa, these are all products of Marxist interference in America for decades. This is the culmination of all of those Marxist efforts. And I'm going to go through the detail of this history in this video. Political correctness is a disease that has infected too many institutions in America. There is huge societal pressure to say exactly the right thing, to be politically correct. Don't joke about this. Elevate these groups. Condemn these other groups, etc. If you don't go along with this, you're actually an impressive person. Why? Because it's dangerous. Defying the woke mob is a sign of character. It's a sign of intellectual courage. And that is impressive. So in the early 20th century, the Bolshevik Revolution, the October Revolution in Russia, brought the communists to power in Vladimir Lenin. The way they did that was they were able to create resentment among the people against the aristocracy. The aristocracy was this very rich layer of Russians at the very top, Then everybody else was relatively poor. And they said every Russian can divide up the wealth of the country. It doesn't need to be in the hands of these super-rich, wealthy aristocrats. And the people went, that was a great idea, let's do that. So they created this communist utopia that was the Soviet Union. Very soon after that, Vladimir Lenin thought, okay, let's spread this throughout the world. So he created an organization called ComIntern, right? It stood for Communist International. I know it sounds like newspeak from 1984, but this is really what he called it, calm intern. So calm intern was designed to train Marxists within a country to create unrest and then Marxist revolution from within. Obviously, there was always a Soviet threat from outside for potential invasion, but what the Soviets thought was actually a better technique was to convince people within the country that they were oppressed and that they could create a revolution from within. So that was what that was the, the purpose of calm in turn. Now, the Marxists had a problem with America specifically. America was a particularly hard nut to crack. America was difficult because America didn't have a huge underclass and a thin layer of aristocrats on top. We didn't have the same class structure as other nations. We had some poor people quite a few rich people, and a massive middle class. And the middle class were relatively happy. So the Russians couldn't target America in the same way they targeted other nations. So they had to think about new ways of creating a Marxist utopia in the United States. So in 1928, there was a critical meeting. This meeting was called the Sixth Congress of the Turn, And the Sixth Congress of the Comintern was a meeting in which they made the decision to target... A particular group in the United States of America. They decided to target black Americans. They had this idea that black Americans relatively newly freed from slavery. The resentment of these black Americans could be aggravated and these black Americans could be turned against white Americans And this could potentially result in a revolt. It could result in a race war, which is what they were trying to create. They thought the race war could potentially spill over into a full-on civil war, decimate the country, and then, as I said, Marxism could rise up out of the ashes. That was their plan. They made the decision in 1928, which is a lot earlier than you might think, but that's when they started this cultural warfare on the United States, on the Black community specifically, and they brought in a guy. His name was Sol Arbach. He went by the name the name James S. Allen. He was uh, an American whose parents had immigrated from Russia to the United States, and he became a radical, radicalized Marxist. And he went over to the Soviet Union, and they taught him basically how to distribute their propaganda in the United States. And he was effective. He came across a case, the case of the Scottsboro boys, which you guys might know about. In case you don't know, Scottsboro boys were nine young black men who were accused of rape in the south and they, they they were innocent. They had not committed this crime. And it was outrageous. It was totally an injustice, right? So this guy realized it was a very obvious injustice. He realized the power of this that he could he could he could get a lot of people to join his cause if he promoted this, right? So it was a good thing. I mean, it was a good thing to promote this case and to get attention for it and to outrage people because these guys' lives were saved in part because of him. There was other people too, but in part because of him. But unfortunately, this had a much more nefarious side, which was to recruit a lot of black leaders into the Communist Party. And and this was sort of the beginnings of creating the Marxist Revolution
0: in America. All right, so we'll go ahead and pause the, the video right there. And we're going to go into a little more depth with this. So I just want to point out to you that, you know, when we're making these episodes, we're not really sure how informed our listeners are or how much they really know about history or about things that have happened and from whose point of view you're going to learn the details of history and it's going to determine what you believe those facts of history what they mean so as we're going through this i just want to point out to you that that a lot of our issues in this country are being fabricated and introduced through rhetoric into our lives and into our minds through the media this is on a mass scale dozens of newspapers seven or eight different news channels are all going to combine together to create this uniform perception of reality and to build up these claims of injustice justices and racial inequities to they're so overblown that they become a point of social disintegration. And that's what we're looking at today. The modern elite system of control over over our media and then academia and the tech giants, social media giants, the internet, they're gonna totally censure anything that they don't agree with. And they're going to try to emerge this ideology of racially specific Marxist, neo-Marxist revolution, which is focusing right now on polarizing European-descended Americans and targeting the whole population of American citizenry who have light complexion and less melanin in their skin. And this is a divisive strategy, a tactic that is used to make a wide division between the populace. And it's quite obvious. It follows a logic of accusational persecution the targets political enemies with aspersions, like in the French era with Jacques Hughes, who were thought to be made defenseless by the accusation. People are so afraid of the animate version, and since they have accepted the false dichotomy that they are pseudo-factions, namely whites and blacks, and they're not individuals and not Americans, the dialectic process forces them into oppositional dynamics. That's why we see black militia groups and white militia groups, which escalates the psychodrama on a national scale. And these are Americans and not whites and blacks. And these are armed racist groups, not militias. And we are allowing our thinking to be manipulated as a nation and as a people who have been dumbed down. We can no longer distinguish between friend and foe. Foreign nations who offer a flattering invitation of peace to the near socialist radicals as they change our vocabulary, alter our moral character, and train our children to hate their own country, and their own history, and their own skin color. And you have to be entirely ignorant not to detect the subversive manipulation that is asymmetrical warfare waged against our mind and our future. And you're a victim of the delusion that you were safe, that you believed the World Health Organization was there to help you, the television news reader is there to tell you the truth, and the Federal Reserve System is there to keep track of your money, and keep your treasure valuable for you. You are deceived on so many different levels that you're a complete useless fool at this point. You need to take back your mind from CNN and from Microsoft and Twitter and Facebook. And you need to take responsibility for the lies that you are telling and that you are spreading to others. That foolish noise that you are making, your silly paper money, your gas-powered cars, the plan is to wreck your country and dissolve it in an uproar of bloodshed and anarchy. And we're looking at the news and we already see several house fires that were started just recently and one was last night where people were inside and the, the rioters burned the homes down with people inside. Not allowing the fire engines to get close enough to put out the fire. In one case, I think it was in California, the whole family was killed, women and children. So this has gone way past the point of a protest. And then it escalated. You let them come out and start throwing rocks through the windows, and now they're burning people alive in their homes. And in order to surface the amount of organization that's being utilized here and how many decades of planning this represents, we need to look at a video here by E. Edward Griffith. And this is in 1969. Let's take a listen that I think ought to be in
1: every home library. It's entitled Color, Communism, and Common Sense by Manning Johnson. Manning Johnson was a Negro, and he was also a member of the Communist Party. He joined the party as a young man because he honestly believed that the Communists were trying to improve the conditions of his people. He was a dedicated Communist. But after many years, Manning Johnson finally came to the realization that the Communists weren't the least bit interested in improving the conditions of the Negro people. He discovered that instead they were merely planning to use his people, and these are his words, to use them as cannon fodder in a bloody revolution to destroy America. As early as 1928, the communists declared that the racial differences among our people constituted the weakest and most vulnerable point in our social fabric. By constantly probing and straining at this one spot, they calculated that eventually the cloth could be torn apart and that Americans could be divided, weakened, and perhaps even set against each other in open combat. We must not be led into placing the blame for the riots, the civil disorders, on the Negro people of our nation. Even those few who are promoting hatred and violence in the black communities are not themselves the cause. They're merely being used by forces far bigger than they are to promote the violent phase of the revolution in America. Hoping to avoid further violence and bloodshed, the public is to be pressured into accepting measures that will move the country gradually and legally toward communism, but without calling it that. The strategy of the proletarian revolution calls for the quiet conversion of our government into a communist regime, but under the banner of socialism. The uh, new program of the Communist Party on this subject has this to say. The term socialism describes but the first stage of a new society that in its full development is called communism. Socialism is a transitional stage. The building of socialism is the communist revolution in America. It represents the process whereby our country can be moved gradually toward communism without the people even being aware of it. They have one and only one solution for all problems. More government. More government. And then more and more until it's total government. Total government is communism. We must not be fooled into thinking that the causes of our civil turmoil are such things as poverty, poor housing, lack of education, and similar social or economic factors. As a matter of fact, most of today's self-styled revolutionaries, black and white, come from good homes, could earn better than average incomes if they wanted to work. And in fact, they're products of some of the finest institutions of higher learning. We mustn't resort to violence either as a means of furthering political or social goals. And we must do everything humanly possible to discourage others from doing so. We must support our local police. Nothing can be quite so damaging to police morale and efficiency as converting every arrest into a trial of the policeman instead of the criminal. Now in passing, ladies and gentlemen, you may have wondered... Why the Communist Party has been a staunch supporter of the drive to place a black studies curriculum into our high schools and colleges? Well, the reason becomes obvious the minute you take a look at the textbooks and the study guides. Under the guise of academic balance, these courses have become a brilliant device for conditioning young people to accept still one more part of the total program for revolution. We must discover... The identity of those individuals, both above and below, who consciously are furthering the communist program for revolution and then remove them from their positions of trust and leadership. Of course, the minute you begin to think along these lines, you'll become the target of a whole barrage of attacks. You'll be called a right-wing extremist, a fascist, or at least a dictator. Some years ago, I happened to attend a meeting where several anti-communist refugees from behind the Iron Curtain were called upon to relate their personal experiences. One of the refugees spoke up and he said, You know, I came to America expecting to find a nation of free men, but instead, I find exactly the same thing. Everywhere I look, I see men and women who know that communists are making headway in this country. They know that something must be done and that someone must stand up to them but they themselves do nothing. They remain silent because they're afraid that if they speak out or take a stand publicly, it'll be bad for business. They may lose a client. They may even lose their jobs. If communism should ever come to America, we'll face more death, destruction, and human suffering than any people in history has ever faced at the hands of their invading conquerors. It's literally a question of life and death for all of us. And it's about time the American people began to face up to that fact and to act accordingly.
0: An interesting video from G. Edward Griffin, and he did that in 1969, and it sounds very prescient, like he could have been speaking about issues that we're dealing with today. And the truth of the matter is, is that these dynamics within the communist agenda are very real, and they're being very effectively actuated within the body politic here in the United States. A lot of people are glomming on to their uninformed, or their really latent racists, who who just want to feel better about their position in life, so they glom on to these different racial groups. So we really need to just work out various nuances wherein we're entrapped within our own thinking and the use of these euphemistic characterization of Americans and these different groups as whites or blacks or, and, you know, even the political dialectic in the left and right and, and all these different ways we're being broken down into powerless factions. And really, we can't seem to learn how to move as one nation and one voting block in our own best interest that I'm going backwards a little bit, but I'm reminded once again that I'm not totally certain how educated or informed you are as a listener. So I want to go back through some of the things that me and and my friends and and, uh, the the people that are on our level, we've already been through a lot of this content and information in the past, and we've already learned how to operate with this information intact. And we've already assimilated this knowledge, and we've already gone to the authors, gone to the sources, done the research. And so we're already looking at the world. our blinders off. But I need to go back and just take take it uh, to make the assumption that perhaps you haven't been informed about this information. So we're going to go back to the classic interview by Yuri Bezmenov. And this guy is going to introduce the video and we'll listen to it right now. And
2: he understood that the black community was being manipulated by Soviet Marxism in order to create civil unrest here in America. And he is the source for a lot of this stuff, this this guy, Manning Johnson. All right, so you might not believe this guy, G. Edward Griffin, because you might think, okay, well this guy just had these crazy theories, and you might not believe this Manning Johnson guy. You might think, okay, well that guy was just making stuff up or whatever. Let's go straight to the source. All right, this is a video that probably some of you have seen at least part of. This is a guy, his name is Yuri Bezmenov. Yuri Bezmenov was a propagandist for the KGB, and he was stationed in India. And he eventually defected when he realized that a lot of the people that he was working with in India were going to be executed by the Soviets. And he realized the brutality of what was going on, and he said I can't be a part of this. And so he left and he defected to the West. And in the video I'm going to show you, he describes exactly what the Soviet plan was here in in America. Now, interestingly, this guy, Yuri Besmanov, was being interviewed by G. Edward Griffin. So this guy, G. Edward Griffin, was really quite focused on this problem of the Marxist infiltration, cultural infiltration into America, something that probably not a lot of people were worried about or even thinking about. He was worried about it, he was concerned about it, and it was real. Have a look at this interview with Yuri Besmanov from 1984. When uh, the Soviets use the
1: phrase ideological subversion, what do they mean by it?
3: Only about 15% of time, money, and manpower is spent on espionage as such. The other 85% is a slow process which we call either ideological subversion or active measures, (aktivnye in the language of the KGB. What it basically means is to change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions in the interests of defending themselves, their families, their community, and their country. great brainwashing uh, process which goes very slow. It takes from 15 to 20 years to demoralize a nation. Why that many years? Because this is the minimum number of years which requires to uh, educate one generation of students exposed to the ideology of the enemy. In other words, marxism leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students without being challenged or counterbalanced by the basic values of americanism american patriotism the result you can see most of the people who graduated in the 60s dropouts or half-baked intellectuals are now occupying the positions of power in the government civil service business mass media educational system you are stuck with them you cannot get rid of them they are contaminated to certain stimuli in a certain pattern you cannot change their mind even if you if you expose them to authentic information even if you prove that white is white and black is black you still cannot change the basic perception and the logic of behavior in other words these people uh, uh, the process of demoralization is complete and irreversible to get rid society of these people, you, have, you need another 20 or, or, or 15 years to educate a new generation of patriotically minded and, and, and uh, common common sense people who would be acting in favor and in the interests of, of, the, uh, of the United States society. The demoralization process in the United States is basically completed already uh, for the last 25 years. Actually, it's over-fulfilled because demoralization now reaches such areas where previously not even Comrade Andropov and all his experts would would even dream of such a tremendous success. Most of it is done by Americans to Americans. Even if, if you start right now, here, this minute, you start educating new generation of Americans, it will still take you 15 to 20 years to turn the tide of, uh, of ideological perception of reality Uh, back to normalcy and and, uh, patriotism. Most of the American politicians, media and educational system trains another generation of people who think they are living at a peacetime. False. The United States is in the state of war. Undeclared, total war against the basic principles and the foundations of of this system. And, And the initiator of this war is not Comrade Andropov, of course. Uh, it's it's the system. However ridiculous it may sound, the world communist system or the world communist conspiracy, whether I scare some people or not, I don't give a hood. You have literally several years to live on unless the United States wake up. The, the time bomb is ticking with every second. The disaster is coming closer and closer. Unlike myself, you will have nowhere to defect to. This is it. This is the last country of freedom and, and possibility. Okay, so what do we do? What is your recommendation to the American people? There must be a very strong national effort to educate people in in, in the spirit of real patriotism, number one. Number two, to to explain them the real danger of socialist, communist, whatever, welfare state, big brother government. If people will fail to grasp the impending danger of that development, nothing ever can help United States. You may kiss goodbye to your freedom, including freedoms to, to homosexuals, to the prison inmate. All these freedoms will vanish, evaporate in five seconds, including your precious lives. Educate yourself. Understand what's going on around you. You are not living at the time of peace. You are in a state of war. And you have precious little time to save yourself. It's it's simplistic. I know it sounds unpleasant. I know Americans don't like to listen to things which are unpleasant. But I have defected not to tell you the stories about such idiocy as, as microfilm, James Bond type, espionage, this is garbage. I have come to talk about survival. It's a question of survival of this system. I am now in your boat. If if we sing together, we'll sing beautifully together. There is no other place on this planet to defend.
0: So that's the end of that little video. And I thought that it would be important to bring it up at this point since it's already a foregone conclusion that so many people, uh, we we might presume that so many people have already had this kind of foundational understanding. But you know what? If you're out there eating Big Macs, shopping at Walmart, using your EBT card and uh, BLM shirt on, listen, you know, watching CNN and all the airports, you probably really don't have a clue about what's really going on around you. You're insulated inside of an ignorance bubble. I'm most worried about this repression that's being pushed on to so-called white people. So you're not allowed to have a white caucus in the Congress. You can't have a white congressional caucus. You can have um, NAACP, a National Conference of Colored People, and you can have a black caucus in Congress, and you can have all these different black victim groups, but you're not allowed to have a a white anything. You're not allowed to have a white, any kind of grouping of people together as being called white is all racist. So there's a clear and unspoken double standard that's at work. And you're not even allowed to question it unless you have white fragility or you're really part of a, a systemic white racist system. And all whites are racist, except for the ones who are shouting at you that you're racist and then those ones, they're blacks. So it's just really this kind of like corrosive Brainwash spilling out and people don't understand what words mean anymore and we don't really understand that that the language is being part of this battlefield of subversion. So I'm always worried about this repression of Americans of European and Russian and Australian descent. And so these are people that we might call white people, but you have to realize that 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 doesn't tell us anything about who they are or where they're from. And our fellow citizens who are fair-skinned, have less skin pigment, less melanin in their skin, not affirmatively call these People, whites. White is not a race. People with light complexion cannot be categorized into a single ethnic group. Many different ethnic groups have blonde features. People with light features come from all over the world. They speak many different languages and come from many different diverse ethnic groups. So, this focus on so called white people as a political target is a destructive polarization utilized by neo communists to instigate Americans to destroy their own culture and to, to target one another. And to destroy our own constitutionally established political and personal liberties. The repression of one section of the society, a persecution similar to that what we're seeing in South Africa where the government is trying to make it legal to take land from whites to give it to the blacks, and this ensures a perception of racial injustice now turns to victimize one section of the society in order to enrich another section of the same society. In this case, it's not the lower classes pitted and antagonized against the wealthier classes, as we saw in the Russian Revolution and in some ways in the French Revolution. Now it's the people with more melanin and a darker complexion who are being incited against the people with lighter skin complexion and less skin pigment because of supposed biases, because of alleged inequities and unfairness, because of perceived wrongs from the past. And in the ultimate turn of irony, we see the government and media and celebrities and sports stars encouraging this outrageous claims of light color people being pitted against dark colour people for the stated purpose of ending racism and it's obvious that this wouldn't end racism but it would just continue a staggering cycle of like we said fanatical xenophobic hysteria i mean what what else can you call it and really these groups that we're calling whites and blacks don't accurately describe any ethnic or racial group of people you can have people who are have dark skin like we were saying that are there were who were native to australia when the british arrived but they had really dark skin You could say that they were black and there were men and women in Africa who lived in Africa and tribes and you could say that they were black. You could look at some of the pygmy tribes that were discovered in South America who had been living there for centuries and centuries and they have dark features and they could be described as black but they're not remotely related. They don't speak the same language and they're not from the same race. So just putting people into these blanket generalizations of whites and blacks is a terribly racist thing to do, and it's terribly inaccurate, and it really disrespects people's actual traditional background from where they're from, their actual heritage, what part of the world they actually came from. You can't just presuppose to know that someone's in a race because they have one dark complexion or light complexion. You can't already know anything about them. You need to speak to them and ask them and hear their accent and hear where they're from. So it's totally absurd that these these people, these morons, think that they're going to pit us into a race war because this will end racism. And we have to be concerned with the constant provocation and persecution that's being built up and being justified with these, like we said, pseudo-vindications as as they're targeting light-colored people. They are deliberately herded into this disunion with the rest of the American population, into this subgroup called white. These are not whites. These are Australians, Russians, Irishmen, all manner of different ethnic groups from all different walks of life, different racial backgrounds that have come to be men who are living in America as Americans. And it's ridiculous to try to force them into a political identity block with the spurious and derogatory term white. It's time for this pseudo-racial propaganda to be called out and dismantled. We are not whites and blacks. We are not a sick false dichotomy. These terms are divisive and they are archaic ideological weapons used by our enemies. We are Americans. At this point, as I begin to notice where we most definitively see these terms used, white and black, we're really looking at the polarization of racial hatred groups. So, white is going to be used by people in the Ku Klux Klan because it's in their interest to keep this racial polarization and this seeming divide between our kind and their kind in order to promote this racial separation and, and the hate that divides the American populace. And we also see the word black being used on the opposite side for groups like Black Lives Matter, who are really just a black KKK group, a black hate group, a black racial separatist group that wants to draw the people that have darker skin tone into an identity block. So as we're moving forward, it becomes important to point out that these terms of division are no longer useful for us in our vocabulary. And as they serve our enemies and work as instruments to introduce oppositional dynamics between a united people, they're really breaking up our American brotherhood and our American unity. So we, we can no longer be identified as Americans from various walks of life everywhere in the world. Even people here who, who are native to America, Native Americans, identify themselves today as Americans. So it's important that we understand that these division groups and these identity blocks that these radical racist hate groups are trying to push us into, serve the purpose of breaking apart our national unity. So if we want to be able to survive this we need to understand that we are post-racial. We have entered a period where racial identity no longer tells us anything about a man whether he's good or bad, or whether he's an American or a subversive. Lots of these white Marxist college campus Antifa kind of queers are out there trying to promote this idea of racial destabilization within the black community because it serves their purpose, just like we were discussing earlier. It's part of this neo-Marxist throwback Bolshevik communist concept that they think they can destroy the American people and have us at each other's throats if they can separate us along perceived racial lines. So that's why we have to have these, these hate groups like Antifa, like Black Lives Matter, like these white nationalist, uh, white supremacist kind of groups. They have to hold on to these polarized terms of white and black. We're not like them. We're, we're us. We need to keep our uniqueness. And of course, it's all just really a fallacy because there's places in Africa where people will always be dark-complected. There will always be dark-skinned people in Africa. And there's places in in Germany and in Sweden where there will always be these, these founts of original people. There will always be people in Russia who have unique Russian features. So we don't need to worry about here in America whether somebody's racial identity or perceived Racial heritage or ethnicity is somehow going to be threatened by another. It's just really irrational. So we need to understand that we are diverse and multicultural in America. So therefore, these terms of black and white pseudo-identity need to be fully exposed and deleted out of our vocabulary. We need to just be people now. We need to be people. We need to be Americans. And really, our background and the amount of melanin and the skin complexion that we have and the shade of our skin tone is really totally useless information. And it's only useful for those who are interested in provoking racial stereotypes or instigating this idea of racial inequities. And they're trying to promulgate racism in their midst. Even if they're there as a supposed anti racism group, really the idea is to get people separated based on how they look. And once you can separate people on how they look, then you can get them to to have these different infighting and clashes. And once you have clashes, you have a civil strife and you're getting right to what the whole order of communism is trying to arouse here in America. So, all right, let's take a look here. I have another interesting clip with John Stossel and we're trying to get into the nuts and bolts of how irrational this kind of overblown hysteria around racial polarization has become so that people are operating en masse to try to attack people that they perceive as their political opponents who won't line up perfectly with this new rising racially specific revolutionary ideology. So if you're having less melanin in your skin and you have fair skin tone, you're supposed to acquiesce and kneel and admit some kind of genetic guilt and and if you're with a darker skin tone, you're supposed to be animated with this energy over getting your racial justice and and it really pits people in the most violent and the most depraved way against one another. So let's look at John Stossel's review of this.
2: On... There
4: have always been angry moms, but now there's a new kind—online moms. They can be vicious too. economics is complicated. One such mob recently came for Harold Ulick, head of a top economics journal. The mob attacked Ulick, says writer Robbie Suave, because... He thinks defund the police is an unhelpful slogan. Ulick had posted this tweet which said, too bad, Black Lives Matter just torpedoed itself with its support of defund the police.
5: You'd think that would be fine for a public intellectual to weigh in on that issue in that way. There was nothing uh, racist or discriminatory and how he said it. And yet, some of the biggest names in the profession have called for him to lose this position. Hundreds signed a petition demanding that. Because he has some different views from the protesters, he must be a racist.
4: Ulig was placed on leave from the journal he ran. The mob even attacks its fellow Democrats. This analyst at a Democratic polling firm tweeted about a study that concluded riots reduce the share of Democratic votes. I would think the rioting does hurt their cause. That sort of behavior
5: uh, makes people fearful. So all this young man does is tweet an article that's obviously true, and he gets fired? Activists who don't want there to be any criticism tagged the employer and said, like, come get your boy. Within days, this public polling firm guy uh, was let go from the position. Come get your boy. It it sounds creepy. There's a cruel streak in activism that says, if you disagree with me, not only should you have no right to speak, but you're harming me. You're making me unsafe. Why are they winning? Their argument is ridiculous. Because people are afraid to challenge them. It just takes one employee at one company to say, well, here's the law that protects my right to feel safe and comfortable in this workplace. If you're not making me feel safe and comfortable, then I'm going to get you in trouble. I might even sue you. And these cowardly corporations give in. Fire the people. You protect yourself from some risks, from some liability, if you just give the loudest voice in the room, the squeakiest wheel, exactly what they want.
4: At CrossFit, the fitness company, CEO Greg Glassman was asked why he hadn't issued a statement about George Floyd. He answered, why should we mourn George Floyd other than it's the white thing to do? Within a week, he was gone from the company. Yes, a few CEOs have lost their jobs, but They have the money. By and large, they have the power. We white people have the power.
5: Well, of course, uh, white people historically have benefited tremendously from, uh, from their race. So why should we listen to people like you? You're a white guy who grew up in the suburbs. Yes, I have a tremendous amount of privilege. I've, I've lived a, a very lucky life. Uh, I, I think I should be able to point out the inconsistencies.
4: Overnight, uh, Minneapolis on fire. When Minneapolis burned after police killed George Floyd people wondered Why would this happen in Minneapolis? This is a city where politicians do most everything the protesters say they want.
5: The crowd erupted in cheers as the council voted unanimously to move ahead with a $15 minimum wage. If
4: you wanted a poster child for uh, the progressive movement, it would be Minneapolis. Minnesota Senate candidate Jason Lewis. This is the same city council that voted to abolish the police department. The council, which has no Republicans, spends money on most every progressive idea
5: climate change resilience and 80 percent reduction in greenhouse gas emissions
4: they applaud themselves for forcing businesses to give workers more time off they push taxpayer subsidized housing
5: it took members less than five minutes to approve this ordinance
4: they passed that higher minimum wage
5: we have now won
4: $15 <laughs> but despite all those progressive policies meant to make life more fair Minneapolis' income gap between whites and African Americans is the second worst in the country. That confuses the media. Minneapolis had progressive policies, says the Washington Post, but its economy still left black families behind. They choose the word but. The word should be therefore, after all. When you take away the incentive for work and savings and investment, you get less of it. When government sends checks to people who don't work, more people don't work.
5: There's a sign behind you that says Waverly Job Center. Do you have any intention of going in to get a job?
3: not looking for
4: a job. And guarantees like a higher minimum wage and forced family leave raise the cost of workers, which means some people never get hired.
5: In Minneapolis, we now recycle organics.
4: And the higher taxes to pay for all the programs means some businesses never open. I've been touring the, the businesses that were burned and did not mention global
0: warming, recycling, or the environment one single time. You know what they say? Give me low taxes and give me public order. If you don't have good schools, low taxes, and, and low crime, you're not going to have small businessmen and women investing their lifetime of savings to open a business command and control economy and quite frankly they're not even shy about it in minnesota Uh, ilan omar the other day said we need to abolish capitalism as long
3: as our economy and political systems prioritize profit we will perpetuate this inequality
2: so we can have equal poverty for everybody
4: she doesn't say she wants equal poverty she thinks her ideas will lift everybody up Show is on. Where's it worked? And everything they're proposing hasn't worked, which is why we're talking about Minneapolis.
3: We raise our fists for instant black lives subject to ISO
4: dissemination.
1: I think those disparities were caused by a long
4: trail of historic racism. Cam Gordon is a Minneapolis councilman. He wins elections here because he's in sync with local voters. So you do have allies inside of government? Gordon tweets things like, time to
1: end capitalism as we know it that would be good how would it be good? we could have
4: more um, democratic control of our resources every alternative to capitalism
1: brings stagnation and poverty. And I think that we can take care of each other better so that we're actually looking out for the vulnerable and the needy and also making sure that we have an opportunity to right the wrongs of the past. We are demanding justice not just
0: for Floyd, but for a corrupt system.
3: Because racism has never been over. Who
0: didn't want justice for Mr. Floyd? There was unanimity.
4: From everybody. The Democrat County attorney got the policeman charged in four days, the fastest ever. What does that have to do with abolishing our economic system? They would say economic freedom just means white people, insiders, get rich. But when we had
0: this economic engine going before the lockdown... The people gaining the most were at the bottom end of the wage scale. A rising tide truly lifts all boats. He's
4: right. In the past 50 years, while well, progressives attack profits, <laughs> that pursuit of profit, capitalism, lifted more than a billion people around the world out of the misery of extreme poverty. The Problem with capitalism,
1: as we know it, is there seems to be this idea that we
4: have to have constant growth. Growth works. Growth lifts. Many of the poor. But it lifts the rich much faster. So what if the rich get filthy
1: rich? If the poor do better, too? Capitalism, as we know, it's got us the housing crisis right now. And it's got us climate change. It's actually going to destroy the planet.
4: But your ideas are going to bring poverty and tyranny. They have again and again. Every time it's has What idea? idea, Community-based economics? These are families that are 42% black? By community-based, he means the community will decide what everyone must be paid, what landlords may charge, even what grocery stores stock. Sure sounds like socialism to me.
0: When socialism fails, the apologists always say, we just didn't do it enough. We just didn't do it the right way. That's always been the case, and it's always failed. So with that, we can see that we're really kind of waded into the depth of this whole really convoluted discussion, and people aren't really willing to put their finger right on the center of the subject matter and discuss the the communist politics and the Bolshevik agenda that's operating behind some of these racialist tactics. So racialists are going to go out there and try to seize upon the differences between communities and to try to create social unrest and wider instability within the community in order to create an anti-American political end. And you can see that Americans live in peace together and in tranquility and in general harmony. And a lot of these activists are going to try to find opportunities when there are police actions or when there's crime between certain members of the community and to try to look and see if there are any differences in the pigment of their skin so that they can seize upon those differences in order to try to create and add to the noise of the wider narrative and that is to suggest that there's some kind of racial inequities when there really are none that exist and this has become a huge system of propaganda now, so that you can see that the media, the Hollywood celebrities, the tech giants and Twitter and Facebook, the writers of the Washington Post, everywhere you look in CNN, all over the landscape of digital media, you're hearing this lockstep drumbeat of racialist propaganda. And it presupposes that somehow there's a, a victim group of people that who have, who have dark complexions and have more melanin in their skin and that they're a victim group and that they're being victimized in some systematic way by people by and large who have light skin. It's a massive dialectic and we're supposed to believe that there's some kind of injustice going on that we should be concerned about. And it goes the same thing with, with global warming. I really laugh at these morons when they go on and on about global warming and they're going to create new laws that that will control cow flatulence. And it's a real thing. And these people are really serious. They really are concerned about how much, methane and CO two is going up into the uh into the atmosphere and they really think that the the planet is gonna be destroyed and that somehow that they have some kind of scientific calculus, some kind of scientific sacred numerology that they can brandish at people and it overwhelms with this emotion about world changing policies and saving the planet and the whales and all this emotion can overwhelm our, our sense of of intelligence or our ability to think. And so these are the same activists that are coming out of the United Nations. They're interested in destroying America's heritage of national political freedom and liberties, and they're interested in having a global governance. And the United Nations is highly interested with pitting nations against each other based on their ethnic backgrounds they're really working really hard in the, at the United Nations to make sure that Israel and the Palestinians are constantly infighting. In, in and, of course, they're at the United Nations. The Vatican has a huge swing. And here in America, we're trying to really get out of the United Nations, and we really should just boot them out. And a lot of these protests, communist groups, and George Soros kind of individuals will be disempowered. We get rid of the United Nations, and a lot of you are going to walk around in some kind of mass hysteria because of the World Health Organization. And Dr. Fauci and Bill Gates are working hard on bringing that vaccine out, maybe any day now. So you should be, be wary of that, and uh, we won't be taking any of the Bill Gates, Dr. Fauci vaccines over here. Like one of the speakers, I don't recognize any particular guilt, any white guilt, and I don't know if anybody should have any particular sense of guilt or satisfaction or dissatisfaction about whatever particular ethnicity or racial characteristics they might have. I think that they should be glad and proud, I think, in the world where a most unique and diverse culture, a very myriad cultural traditions, and they're wonderful, and we shouldn't allow these... Communist and these international elite multi billionaires to pit us against one another in order to try to turn us into another United Nations. North American Union or whatever they have planned for us. They build highways right through the entire nation between Canada and Mexico and I don't think they have any intention on letting any of the peasants have any real influence in the world that they're trying to build. So I think we need to remember that our American heritage, our national tradition is something worth fighting for, maintaining our liberties, or else we'll be reduced once again to absolute abject poverty and a level of serfdom that we have seen as 90% of the representative human history. If you look back, we've just had total slavery, total abject land ownership of all the people. And a few brief moments of history have reflected the ability for people to democratically elect to build a republic that could enrich and defend all the people. And that's what we have here in America. So let's not give it up. Let's fight for our our American heritage. And this that's it for this episode. We'll see you guys next time.